Hey, what's going on, my money-crazed lunatics? You hear that? That's the sound of money. <laughs> and it smells pretty damn good, too. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. Super excited about this one. You know, this, this episode is, is dropping, you know, after the wake of a pretty rough week on the market. Just to kind of go over some some general market news one of the biggest market corrections since october and you know a lot of a lot of these new investors are, are kind of shaking at their feet shaking in their boots so to speak and it's kind of funny watching it um for those of you who are listening just be patient be calm be diligent in your investing in your mindset um, look if, if you're invested in high quality etfs high quality companies you have nothing to fear, nothing to fear, right? You're diversified out, especially if you're following the ETF strategy that I've kind of laid laid out in the past um, episodes, you're doing great. And to just kind of give you a perspective, look, the last five days, the S&P, or the last four days rather this week, the S&P is trading almost flat, down like 40 basis points, which is almost nothing. But then when you have, you know, companies like Tesla and other speculative companies that are, are really, really popular amongst new investors, they're down almost d double digits. So it's that kind of perspective that you have to keep in mind um, where, look, a new investor, if you're going really, really, and I keep talking about this every episode, if you're really, really concentrated in these positions, you're putting yourself in this kind of, you're, you're backing yourself up against the corner. Uh, because you don't have a lot of these new investors don't have the will to stay in with their convictions on a stock and not to mention what if you're wrong on a stock and something like this a week like this you know so just be real careful be really really careful i'm not saying you know tesla's a bad stock but look if you're a new investor and you hold 50 60 percent tesla which i know a lot of new investors do and you're shaking in your boots today from a six, 7% loss on the day, you're putting yourself in a weird predicament where you might be making irrational decisions. You might sell out of a position just because you're scared of that big red day and you're not, you're not making optimal decisions. Um, so look, if you're really worried and, and you face double digit losses this week and you're asking me and others, when should I sell? You know, should I sell? What should I do? If you're asking those questions, and that probably means you don't have the convictions that you probably should have to weather these storms, weather these corrections. So again, just adopt a longer term approach. Get out while you can and go into ETFs. And I'll talk about why. This episode's perfect because it's really laying the, the framework of what I've been talking. Here's some of the episodes I've talked about individual stocks and that's all fine and dandy but for most of you guys i think etfs and index funds are the way to go and we're going to talk about why getting your first one hundred thousand dollars before age 30 is the most important and crucial step towards building financial financial freedom it really is if you can hit six figures before you turn 30 and we're going to go through the math with this uh with a guest I have on this podcast, his name is Jacob Brown. I went to school with him at Texas A&M. 
really smart guy, but he's got a great perspective. He's a really intelligent guy, but he understands that he probably doesn't have the longevity in the market to continuously pick stocks and pick winners. So he's really adopted kind of the approach I've talked about, this long-term approach, getting broad ETF exposure to different segments of the market. He's still opportunistic. He'll talk a little bit about some of the individual stocks he picks. But when we get into this conversation, this is a this is a valuable guest to have. Someone who who doesn't necessarily have the market expertise, right? Hasn't worked on an institutional desk, but he's still got the track record to back up. Back up what he says and back up this strategy I've been touting about since the beginning of this podcast. So if you're going to listen to anyone talking about building wealth, uh, you know, this this guest is perfect. He he's one that doesn't get too sophisticated with the strategy, but he is a constant saver. And so we're really going to get into the personal finance principles behind investing because I think oftentimes those are missed. Oftentimes you you see new investors, they just fund their account once and they play with that money and they're done and they they don't contribute consistently over time. But we're going to get into the math um, with, look, even if you're just doing ETFs and you're only earning 7, 8, 9%, 10%, what have you, just that consistent discipline of investing biweekly or monthly, I mean, takes your portfolio and your account to the moon, just like GameStop, but you're controlling your risk on the way up and you're minimizing volatility, which is really the game most investors should be playing. And, uh, you know, just to set set the preface, I want to walk through something that I was thinking about and why it's important to start young. If you start young, and we'll talk about the math, you can hit six-figure accounts by the time you reach 30. If you start right after school, right after college, you have enough time to hit six figures and we're going to break it down. But, you know, just a little quick problem. Let's say you're 25 years old and let's say you want to retire at 65, a millionaire, right? One million bucks in your retirement account. You would need to save $380 a month for the rest of your time until you're 65 and put it into an S&P ETF. And let's say it's 7% which is which is conservative um that is that is how you would get a million dollars investing 380 dollars a month till you're 65 you'll have a million bucks let's say you want to have fun in your 20s and you don't want to start saving till you're 35 which is what most americans do oftentimes actually even longer if you start at 35, um, now instead of having to save 380 bucks to hit that million by the time you retire, you have to save over double. You have to save $819 a month, yielding 7% in an S&P fund till you're 65 to hit that million. So if you just started 10 years earlier when you're 25, scraping together 380 bucks a month, which I think is doable, I think a lot of people would say it's doable. And that's the math behind it. And so that's why it's so important to get that first 100K because that math just snowballs out of control. 
And we're going to talk about the steps on how to get that six-figure portfolio by the time you're 30 by two guys that have done it well before 30. One more thing I just want to discuss, especially with this week, broad valuation discounts. You know, I'm sure most of you guys know a large part of why equities in general have sold off is, is this idea that yields have pushed higher on the treasury curve, right? Long end of the curve, 30-year yields pushing you know, over two, and then your 10-year yield, which is a basic market indicator, is, is pushing way higher than it has been in the last year, year and a half. So it's good to see that because... Look, now there's viability to rotating in the fixed income and other methods of portfolio management that institutions just didn't have access to uh, the last year, year and a half because yields were just garbage. So where else are you going to go um, for your funds? You got to go equities. Well, now it's like, well, you don't have to go equities. And so, look, that is just the name of the game. I, I, I do think valuations across the board were slashed a little bit too much for my liking. So with that, um, I'm going to say, I keep hearing buy the dip. Be very careful with that. Buy the dip, but buy the dip on high quality companies. Not just companies you think you believe in because of the speculative play. High quality companies with fundamentals backing up the valuation. Nothing more, nothing less. And so for me, look, my account dropped. 20 something thousand dollars this week you know look it's just a number especially with my strategy i understand how little that number means to me but when i saw that i have conviction on certain segments of the market so i i um, you know funneled more money into my account you know ten thousand dollars more into some of my etfs that i really enjoy because of you know buying the dip <laughs> you know, I, I hate that word. It's such a buzzword. Just be real careful when you keep hearing buy the dip. I keep hearing that. Buy the dip, buy the dip with quality. <laughs> so there's that little rant. And um, look, just stay safe, stay vigilant, and stay focused on those long-term goals you set for yourself. Don't, don't sell yourself short on this instant gratification short-term play. Play the long game. And trust me, you're you're going to be happy where you end up down the road. I promise you that. Hope you guys enjoy this one in this interview with Jacob Brown. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, uh, studied international studies uh, at A&M. Got a you know, liberal arts degree there. And then um, went on uh, to work in technology and management consulting uh, out in San Francisco Bay Area. And then was out there for about four years. And uh, recently re relocated back to uh, back to Texas. So that's kind of a little bit about me, just pro professionally and whatnot. Um, but my, I think my interest in investing was just around, you know, the idea of being able to take that money you earn and turn it into something else, right? Like it almost becomes a second income stream, uh, and it's yeah. not. It's not really just about how much you make. Uh, it's more about the decisions you make with that money that you've earned. Sure. And I've, I've always felt like, uh, always, you know, I think growing up, you always hear these kids and in school and stuff, they talk about these aspirations of having this big job, you know, sexy job, making all this money and life's just going to be great. 
<laughs> I yeah. never want to. I never want to make assumptions on assume you know future earnings. What what my future earnings prospects are, right? Like I don't right. want to assume that's a guaranteed outcome. And so I always want to. I'm I'm kind of more of a defensive guy in that regard. In that sure, just like kind of like I do some just personal financial modeling around like, Oh, like how much could I save and everything? Yeah. I, my baseline sort of scenario is like, if I made the same amount of money as I made my first year out of college, like, could I save enough to retire? Um, or like, could I save enough and like still be in a good financial spot? And so that's like, I'm like, okay, I know I made it then. Like I can always, um, that's kind of like my baseline kind of mindset, so to speak. So that's sort of, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, I guess, you know, just learning about the, the great recession and how all that went down. It was just amazing like how frivolous people were, um, and just, they didn't really think about the risk they were taking on in terms of debt, mm. any kind of, didn't really have any kind of game plan if they weren't able to service their debt. Right. Um, and we're just kind of, you know on cloud nine assuming everything's going to be okay and then when the house of cards came crumbling down <laughs> quite literally uh yeah a bunch of people got screwed and it was i mean it was really sad right um, obviously there's obviously you know not to get too into it but there's people who've made poor decisions there's a lot of people who've made poor decisions right on both ends of the spectrum you know, absolutely institutional folks all the way down to mortgage brokers all the way down to the individuals other- Right. consumers themselves right who said yes this is a good idea <laughs> own that is going to eat up 40 percent of my post-tax income and it's a variable rate you know so uh there's definitely like enough blame to go all around there but it's like people just weren't really thinking right you know and just assumed everything would all work out so yeah so, you yeah. know it's that's interesting because like with personal finance and if you want to be successful especially financially it really comes down to personal responsibility and accountability and yeah. you have to own up your decisions. Um, and I think that's really an, an important pill to swallow if you want to snowball your wealth is you have to be accountable to yourself. Yeah, totally. And you gotta be able to realize like, yeah, you, you have to be really honest with yourself. And sometimes that's harder to do, you know, just depending on your personality, Yeah, what you, how you've grown up and like what you sort of I guess, expect out of life, you know, kind of, you have to yeah. kind of, your minimum standard of living be like okay is this is this all i need and from there you can you just save a lot more depending on your perspective on that yeah what uh you know what kind of investments do you like are you more of an index fund passive guy etfs what's kind of your flavor on that yeah so my big thing is uh automating as much of my investment as investments as possible so yeah um, index funds definitely play a lot into that, uh, specifically like mutual index funds. And the reason why I like mutual index funds is because I can schedule recurring investments. And I don't think you can do that on ETFs or any kind of individual stocks. So, you know, every month I have money going into my 401k, which that I just have that set on. Mm, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I just have that set on like the automatic like most aggressive plan, right? So I, that just gets dumped in and automatically allocated. Right. And, you know, anything like things in my Roth IRA and brokerage account, that'll all, um, most most of it will get 
just automatically allocated on the right. first and the fifteenth, um, whatever the dollar amount is I've set to go into a couple different mutual funds there. So yeah, that's what I mostly do. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't own any individual stocks. I definitely, sure. but I think that's I have a sort of a strategy just around dividend investing that's going on in my Roth IRA. Um, nice. Into that like at a different time, but yeah, yeah, just trying to you know, I feel like I've got enough money to where I can you know afford to experiment a little bit and just see how things are going. Definitely yeah. uh, a buy and hold long all the way guy, so. I don't, I try not to do any kind of high transaction stuff, uh, especially in a taxable account where Uncle Sam is going to be grabbing your gains left and right. So people ignore the tax consequences, man. It's yeah. crazy. It, they they yeah. just don't understand um, how quick those long term and especially those short term capital gains that most people are, especially, you know, yeah. your, your new retail investors, man, they're going to get hammered hard this year. Yeah, man. The, uh, the amateur hour folks from, uh, you know, the pandemic investors or whatever we want to call them. Yes. I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I, I feel for them and I, I don't, you know, I don't intend to like discourage anyone from getting into investing, but it's just no. like, there seems to be, it follows this certain trend. Like they have like, they've all signed up for the pandemic investor starter pack. Right. Which is like, a, <laughs> they got, they got the, you know, Elon Musk shrine, like in the corner of their room, they got, uh, yes. you know, I don't know, they got Robin Hood, uh, Robin Hood downloaded. Wall Street bets. Wall Street bets. They're, they're scrolling through Wall Street bets, um, constantly posting like motivational memes and stuff. And then, uh, you know, Coinbase, Coinbase wallet uh, app or whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell cryptos. That's definitely in there. And then, um, you know, screenshotting really small account balances and putting them on as well. Like that seems to be a common trend. It's like, like, what do you guys think you're doing? And then it just, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just kind of, I don't, again, like I'm not trying to discourage anyone, but it's like, look, yeah. You know, you just showed up on the scene. You're like, oh yeah, I'm long, long Tesla, long this, long that. And I'm like, Hey, it's easy to say you're long when you're up, but come back to me when you're down, when you're in the that's where the real long investors are. Because you've been in, I mean, you've been in the market several years now, right? Yeah. And I mean, I've had some positions. Um, in fact, recently there was, not recently, but kind of over the course of time, I was buying this one stock and dude, I was, I was down like negative. I was down 60% pretty much. Sure. Yeah. And, and then like, it was really a dividend play and then they cut their dividend. And so that was obviously a bummer. I'm like, okay, well. I can deal with the stock being low if I'm getting the dividend, but now they're like, Hey, we can't even pay off the dividend. But, um, I kept holding and I would, you know, I, I knew I was way over allocated in it. And even when it was dropped that much, I was still pretty over indexed on it in my account. So yeah. I bought in like a little bit here and there, you know, maybe an additional like 500 bucks, you know, over the course of a year. Um, but it turns out like recently it just skyrocketed. And now I'm up like 20% and the dividend has been reinstated. So I feel pretty vindicated there. But I'm like, And what was your mindset on that one? Like, did you, because, you know, most people, and we'll talk about this, I'd say this time and time again, these new investors have weak hands and they would sell when they saw that number. When you yeah. saw minus 60%, what were you doing? Were you looking at the fundamentals and 
seeing, hey, is this, should I hold this? Or what was going through your head? Well, I think the biggest thing was just, I'm like, this is a paper loss. It's not a real loss. And did you still believe in the stock? Is that why you held it? I, I did like the stock. Okay. I did. Yeah. As, as our man DFV would say. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a Tanger factory outlet. It's like a retail outlet. Yep. Um, they had a long dividend track record. And I knew, I mean, I just felt like everything that was happening, it was just getting, all of retail was getting hammered. Um, so, it, yeah, it's just a COVID discount. Everything knew, got slashed. Like, no way. There's no way it's that, like, it's all priced in. I just felt like, and it had to break out at some point. So I just occasionally, you know, just throw in a few bucks here and there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it ended up working out. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I was a genius, but I've just sold stuff before at a loss and regretted it. So I was like, okay, I'll just hang on to this. Right. And if I need the money at some point, then maybe I will sell it. But I didn't need the money. And so I just kept hanging on to it. Yeah, I totally, yeah, because, and that's what I worry right now is, you know, all these new investors, they've only seen green and I just know yep. when they see those big numbers, those big red days, cause I've seen them too. You've seen them, you know, yeah. time will tell if they hold on um, and right. I doubt they will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I hope they do, but I'm just, yeah, I don't know. It's just. I'm skeptical, right, of just the con, the understanding of what their goals are, you know, in terms of their, their personal investing goals, you know, like, what are they, what exactly are they trying to do? Are they just trying to get 150% return in one stock on their 800 bucks they invested? Or are they right. build up, um, are they trying to build up, like, long-term capital, you know? And I think yeah. that's, like, a psychological thing for me is... I don't like having a lot of different positions with not that much money in them. Like, I mean, sure, it's a money's a finite resource, right? So we only have so much of it coming in every two weeks or whatever. And so I, I just prefer to like build up a large sum in right. an index fund. And I know, I know that that is diversified, you know, relatively speaking. Sure. Okay, cool. It's like, I'd ra much rather have like, you know, whatever, 10 grand in an index fund, then a thousand dollars, you know, give or plus a couple hundred, like scattered across these random stocks that I'm constantly having to make sure are on the right path, so to speak. Yeah. There's such a thing as over diversification, especially when it comes to individual stock picking. I think yeah. people forget about that. You know, it's, it's kind of important. You, you brought that up and you sent me an article, you know, I'd kind of want to talk yeah. You know, all these new investors, I kind of see them, all they're doing is kind of just funding their account one time and just letting that money be the only only amount in their portfolio. They're not continuously contributing. How important is that piece for yourself? I, I would say it's, it's even more important than individual stock picking is just the consistency. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I, that's the, honestly, that's the one thing I look at each month. Yeah. I don't, I've, I've never calculated my personal return with like all my accounts combined, like obviously sure. the return rate, right. And see what it is. But my biggest thing is looking at how much money do I save each month and like how much of that, how much of that is, you know, allocated in the stock market. Um, yeah. So like, so really what that comes down to is savings rate and then being able to consistently do that. So 
Um, I think that's the, the consistency is the one thing that you need to do to build up wealth. And, you know, one of the things it talks about in that article, Josh, was just around saving your first $100,000 and how really returns, returns don't get you to that 100000 Right. Yes. Because you're returns not going to get there you, from a thousand bucks invested. <laughs> yeah. And returns will get you to the million dollars for sure. But the first hundred like that putting in the grunt work and that's you saving money consistently. And in my opinion, like looking back on what I've done, I know for a fact, if I had gone with a simplified approach from the outset, I would probably have, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 grand more. Like I just, I just know I would, um, yeah. if I just been more consistent and then invested just in an index from the outset. Sure. Uh, Cause it's just, it's not worth trying to pick. I mean, okay. Like if you're just trying to have fun or whatever, then sure. But hopefully you're, you see your money as more of a tool that it's a tool grow over time and it can set you up for success. And yeah, that article, which I'm sure you're going to link to in the show. Yep. Notes, it just gives you a really good perspective on the consistency that's needed right. and it, there you can it really gives you a lot of flexibility because you know once you're at that hundred thousand dollar mark you know in theory if you wanted to you could lay off the gas a little bit yep. um give yourself a cushion to hey i'm saving up cash for a down payment on a house or you know whatever the case might be so my biggest uh it, and i think another thing too and this is maybe getting a little off topic but it's like with the new retail investors they're, you know, maybe they're opening a Robinhood account and I'm not sure if you can open a Roth IRA in, in Robinhood or what, but don't think so. No, it's only uh, taxable. Right. So I would be way more focused on those tax advantaged accounts than I would like, and like, honestly, my brokerage account is my smallest account. Um, Me too. Which, yeah. And so I like, it just doesn't make sense to only focus on taxable when you know it's in the name you're going to get taxed on it where you could be putting money away that you don't even have to worry about that and right. it could be in like a much more automatic setting so you know going back to like the goal setting thing i think for any of these new investors saving a hundred thousand dollars is a great like that's a pretty big goal especially if you're first starting out but it's not something that you can't reach in i don't know three four years depending on your income and how much you you know set your mind to it right what age did you hit the six-figure mark um i i mean gosh uh, probably uh probably last year yeah i think that's it and it's big right because you know when i hit that too it it changes the game and how quickly your accounts snowball <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and so it just gives you a lot of flexibility and I, I think I would, another thing that a lot of people don't think about when they're investing in these different accounts is like what I, what I've heard called the order of operations of investing. Oh yeah. Explain that for us. So yeah, it's, it's really like the priority of accounts you should invest in first with your money. So a lot of, and I, I could be butchering this, there's a lot of different philosophies out there, but the first thing to do would be to, and I guess this is. This is assuming you have no debt. If you had debt, then there's probably a couple other steps you would work in there. But 
the first thing would be to get the minimum uh, or get them, you know, invest company match. A, yeah, company match. Thank you. Uh, just invest enough in your 401k to get the full company match. And then, I mean, for me personally, what I kind of do is like, okay, get the match. And then I want to fully um, fund my Roth IRA and fully yep. the HSA. And then if I have additional money, go back into my 401k and then add whatever else that looks like. And then you might have other goals around, hey, I want to save, I don't know, $5,000 in cash for an emergency fund. And I would like to also save, you know, $3,000 this year, $5,000 this year, whatever that number is in your brokerage account. And yeah. that's how you set up your goal. You set up your goals that way. And I think that, you know, with the 100000 in mind, I think that's just, it's just helpful. Right. Absolutely. You know, I think for, for a lot of people, the Roth IRA or any of those retirement accounts, you know, there's such a focus, especially in our age group of like this instant gratification. People don't feel comfortable locking away money in retirement accounts because of just the penalties. But I really think they sell themselves short by just ignoring those accounts, you know, just because it's not liquid. Um, yeah. Ignoring totally. those tax benefits. You're just giving the, you're giving away free money, significantly free money over yeah. the long run, you know? I, yeah. And I think the other thing that like, think about yourself 10 years from now, do you want to be in your mid thirties with pretty much no saving, no retirement savings or not that much retirement savings. And now you actually have to save 25% of your income into retirement or else you're going to be toast. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, time's on your side when you're young. And in fact, you, to get to the same dollar amount, you would need to save less if you were saving at 25 versus 30. Um, and so, it's just not, it's not worth giving up that time and the ability to, to get money into those accounts and not only get money into those accounts, a lot of people forget this step actually invested, right? So just cause you maxed out your Roth IRA doesn't, that doesn't really mean anything for you unless you've got it in equities or whatever it is you're trying to invest in. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, that's such a huge step. And if you, you know, yeah. attaining six figures, if you're getting out of college and you're 22, 23, um, you can hit six figures with discipline. You, yeah. And I think I, that is not, it sounds like a pipe dream, but it really right. isn't when you work out the math. I know you're a numbers guy. I know you can look, I mean, yeah. I know you know how, how ridiculous it, it grows. Well, yeah, that, that article, Josh even talks about, um, I felt like the numbers they gave were very conservative numbers. Right. So it was saying, yeah, seven percent. Yeah, it was like ten thousand dollars every year at seven percent. And so, if you figure the, um, I don't know what's what's the average American household income like fifty thousand, fifty five thousand dollars. That's about right. Mm -hmm. So let's call that fifteen or twenty percent somewhere in that in that range of your income yeah. on average. Uh, in seven point eight four years, as it says here. Um, you're going to have a hundred grand. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's, you know, it's much more um, feasible to the mind when you think about it that way. And you got to just set up those goals. I think that's, yeah. those are things people, 
forget about it. If you go into the market without goals, you're toast because then you don't know when to sell. You don't know when to buy. You don't know when to do all these steps that are crucial in building wealth. You have to kind of break it up. Yep. Um, I think that's the other thing too, like to, you know, to get to this hundred thousand, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be selling assets. You're going to only be buying. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, you just got to plow it away. And yes, each time you're buying, I mean, you're essentially just dollar cost averaging, right? Like, Hey, you're a net buyer over 10, you know, what, however long it takes you just keep buying. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously you want to make sure you have, you know, enough cash on hand to get you through whatever kind of situation could pop up. But, um, yeah, just if you save consistently, you really will be there. Um, you know, I say in no time, but it's, it'll happen. Right. I mean, this 10 year, $10,000 a year saving at a 7% interest rate gets you there in just under eight is what they said, which the math is right. That yeah. 7% rate that's pretty conservative right now the last decade it, it's been about 13 to 14 percent just in the S&P 500 <laughs> right. yeah so, which is funny you know I feel like these days people are saying oh only 13 14 percent because they're used that's so good seeing these random stocks like just pop off you know um, and I don't really get like what a normal return year is yeah right it's 13 or 14 percent will get you very rich I think people forget that and they, you know, yeah. they want to bash those ETF investors, but uh, I think we're going to be the ones laughing at the. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? What would you, what would you rather have a 250% return on your one time, let's call it $2,500 that you invested in Robinhood and, sure. you know, whatever you bought Tesla or ARC or something. Um, or would you rather make 13% every year for 10 years on your $10,000 that you invest every year, you know, I'll take that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so a lot of people don't, don't quite get that. And as, as soon as you make your first 100, um, your subsequent next 100 K becomes that much quicker just with compounding yep. interest. Right. And so totally. it's, it's, you know, your first 100, your first million, those are always the hardest, but once you get to those thresholds, it just, it's all downhill from there. And it's just, smooth sailing really over the long run yeah it's and you know another thing too that was inspiring to me to start investing earlier was that you give yourself the flexibility later on to not have to save for uh retirement so for example yeah i mean, I, I don't have my numbers up here exactly but let's say at the age of 30, if you had a hundred thousand yep. dollars, let's just all that's retirement hypothetically. Um, and if that grows at 10% a year and you don't add any more money to it, I think it's 62 or 65, you're a millionaire. Yeah. Yep. So that's, and that's not adding any additional money. So imagine if you did add some money, you were cons- consistently in, uh, investing over time. Let's say, I don't know, like, you know, I know for me, you know, I hope to have like a family in the future or whatever, you know, a, Hey, when I'm 40, I know that I technically don't have to save that much for retirement. So I could scale that back and invest in other things or save up for other things, other personal goals that you have. You know, maybe it's, you want to start investing in 
rental rentals for real estate or you're trying to pay for your kid's college, like whatever that looks like, right? It doesn't really matter, but you've built in that flexibility into your financial position to where you're not really giving up that much if you needed to temporarily or even long-term reduce some of that consistent saving. Right. So I pulled up that future value calculator and we'll kind of go through that math real quick. So you said 100K at age 30, right? And then at age 65, you know what that would look like, you know, with a 7% return over 35 years, that 100K would turn into without, um, you know, accounting for inflation and turn into just over $1 million. And that's okay. I wasn't wasn't too far off. Yeah. You weren't too far off. Now let's, you know, make this example better that $10,000 a year that you were talking about investing, let's say you invest an extra $10,000 a year over the course of those 35 years, you, that 1 million is now 2.45 million by the time you're 65. And that's like most- Very the, conservative. Yeah, very conservative. And that those types of um, whatever you want to call them, Monte Carlo scenarios or- um, those are the kind of things that always fascinate me. Like that's what I'm kind of playing with, with my personal finance stuff. It's like, oh, if I save, you know, 15,000 this year, let's say I reduced it later on or increase it or whatever, like that's the kind of stuff that I like to look at. Um, cause it just makes it much more palatable on like, oh, wow. Right. Like I could be a multimillionaire and it's, you know, I could still make the same amount of money that I make right now and, and do that pretty easily. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people, if they looked at it that way, they would have more confidence to just go into the market and consistently invest. And there's no stress because you and I both know you can yeah. get 7% a year over the long run. That is 100% attainable. The last hundred years of S&P data support that, you know? Yep. Yep. So, you know, totally. it, it speaks for itself. It's just, it's just not the quick way. You're not going to get there overnight and i suppose that's what people want um but that's a dangerous mindset to have yeah the the uh lure of the instant gratification is definitely always there and i mean of course you know hey if we had known if i do i wish i had bought tesla two years ago sure of like i'm not gonna you know sit here and just say no i don't of course i do but you know the reality is i didn't and i'm probably not gonna do it now it's just with the way things are but guess what? I know I've consistently been investing in other things. And so it's kind of all works out. But then it's like, if you do that and it works out one time, you continue that strategy and that's just a losing strategy over the long run. It really is. Like you said at the very beginning, it just um, perpetuates the myth that you have to find the one big winner or the handful of winners and put your money in on it. Just hit singles all day, baby. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So like, I'll hit the singles and the, uh, the bait, you know, the doubles every day, as opposed to trying to get the, the triples and home runs and striking out, you know, a lot of times in between. Right. Right. So tell me about this fund that you were talking to me about the, uh, the SCHD, yeah. the Schwab, is that an index fund or a ETF? Uh, so I guess both it's a, it's an ETF that follows an index. And I think it's gotcha. I think it's the Dow Dividend 100 or something. Um, I, I bring that up so, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that I've 
doing like some kind of dividend investing in my Roth IRA. Yep. Being because, you know, those gains are all tax, uh, they grow tax free. So I'm not getting taxed on any of that stuff. And most of it's in REITs. And I think REIT payouts are actually taxed at regular income as opposed to like a cap qualified dividend rate. Yeah. So you just end up getting on ruined if it's in a taxable account. It just, it hurts really bad. Yeah. So I don't have any REITs in my taxable. And then this particular ETF stood out to me. Um, it has really good uh, year-over-year dividend growth, like d- double digits. So like 10% plus a year, the annual dividend payout increases, which is pretty phenomenal. That is. But, oh, it doesn't have any REITs. So all of that, all of that income uh, isn't subject to the regular, you know, regular income rules under the IRS or whatever. And oh, because so- it's qualified, right? Right. Yeah, it's all qualified dividends. So I hold that fund in my taxable account. Um, I'm using that as like a dividend play in my taxable account, but I don't want to have to worry about holding all these random stocks in my taxable account. So I just went with that. Um, And it it turns out, I mean, most of these dividend stocks too kind of tend to be value. Yeah. So it's really interesting because, you know, today on February 22nd, that was like my one position that went up a pretty good amount and everything else was tanking. And so the value, it, I was, I was actually about to like get into some, a different value index. I'm like, Oh wait, I already got this. And I did some more research and realized, Hey, it's already got exposure to value. Like I might as well just hang on to that instead of buying, buying an additional fund. Yeah. You know, it, that's almost what I'm looking at it right now. 3% div yield. A one-year annual return of 15% last year, which, again, we've talked about. 15% is fantastic, you know? So, yeah, yeah, great fund. I'll link the details. I really – I'll have to add this, I think. Um, Uh, And the other good thing, I mean, you know, people think, oh, 3%, like, what the heck? Well – It's a good hedge. It's it's double the S&P 500 yield. So just think about it from that standpoint, right? Absolutely. Um, it's getting you twice the payout that you would get SP 500. Now, you know, it may not go up as much, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a hedge position. You know, I don't have that much in it, but I'm hoping to put some more in there, uh, in the future. And the other great thing is it's pretty cheap to hold. I think it's got a 0.06. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I think that's, I think that's cheaper than like spy. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what the other thing that drew me to it. And I tried to look up a couple other um, funds that were, you know, big on dividends, and nothing really seemed like it would it would really work out. Kind of with what I was trying to go for. You know, it's interesting, and I know you and I were talking about it a little bit offline as far as you know. You you mentioned today your value stocks outperformed. You know, and I know most most listeners probably had a rough day on the market because, as you know, most retail investors, most new investors probably hold primarily growth stocks because that's what's been dominating. Well, you know, today just kind of people are facing the music because interest rates are kind of coming up a little bit, the long end of the curve has. And so because of that, um, these high growth stocks have kind of become to many too expensive. So it's kind of going to be curious to see people have been talking about a rotation in the value for a very long time and it hasn't happened. Yeah, but 
I don't know. You know, one of those things. It's like at some point it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it can't hurt to have some exposure there. And personally, what I'm doing is pulling back a tad on like I have a growth, large cap growth and mid cap growth index fund. What in, funds are those? If you don't mind. Uh, yeah. FSPGX. Okay and fmdgx and what uh, are those schwab or they're fidelity yeah they're fidelity index funds and i hold them in my roth ira okay. um, so those have had great growth obviously um and i've you know those are some of my biggest positions in my roth ira but i'm pulling back on investing additional money in there and just gonna hold on to some cash for a little bit i know that probably contradicts my uh previous statement about what i was what i was saying but um but you have the flexibility because you made good decisions right. early on <laughs> yeah yeah no that's a good that's a good way to think about it i guess um yeah so i'm just gonna kind of pull back just a little bit and just see you know see what happens i don't know if i want to open i might actually just invest more in the. i feel like mid cap growth has more room to go yeah, that's what my buddies were telling me that they really think mid cap is the way to go. Yeah, like compared to large, like I'm definitely not going to do any additional money to large cap, but I might just do some in the mid cap and then international. So uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. But other than that, I mean, you know, in my brokerage account, I'm just doing my. I've got S and P 500 and Nasdaq, and I just you know chuck away 50 50 bucks here and there you know on a regular schedule and I, i'll continue to do that so yeah i love that what what other you know personal finance because i really like that topic yeah just because you know on this podcast i talk a whole lot about investing different strategies but i just don't think we cover enough and i'll have you on again and we're going to get into taxes and things like that but what other yeah. things you want to leave listeners um kind of wanting them to know more about uh i would say you know I, I guess just your ability to save money is solely dependent on the amount of monthly liabilities and expenses that you have hmm. so that's something to think about um like okay for a personal example like i just bought a car recently um I decided to pay for it in cash. What'd I, you get and how much? Uh, it was a Ford Escape. Nice. Yeah. And um, so I the I was sort of just picking it like, oh, well, I kind of want to have some cash on hand. Because I was pretty much going to, like, all my cash is going to be gone. But I, you know, I'm just like, okay, so if I get this loan, that's going to be, you know, whatever it is, 150, 200 bucks a month, depending on whatever the terms were that I would have to pay. But I would still have the flexibility of having the cash on hand, but really I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna do anything with that cash. That would just be an emergency fund. But then I was thinking, okay, well, that's gonna eat into my cash flow for the month in terms of being able to invest, right? So would I rather temporarily be low on cash and still keep my cash flow high, but dented by, you know, the hundred and something bucks or something? Or would I rather have the peace of mind of the cash on hand 
and have to pay more. And I should, I mean, you know, I had the ability to pay it all off. So I just was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But, you know, and that, that goes into other things too. Like your, uh, you know, how much are you paying in rent? Like, you know, it, you decided to live in the fun place and, you know, yeah. all the yuppies are at. And do you want to pay that? I don't know. I don't even know what apartments go for that are super nice in, in Texas, but you know, 1500, 1600, 1700 bucks a month. Sure. Yeah. Just say you live in the, you know, cool part of town or are you willing to, I don't know, save anywhere from 300 to 500 on rent, maybe get a roommate or just live a little further away. Um, and that's extra money that you have the ability to put into, you know, whatever it is, pay down debt, invest. Right. Um, so I think that's the other thing, like just the expenses piece. People may say, well, I don't really have that much ability to save, but they don't really kind of look at the expense part of it as well. Right. You know, when you're looking to buy something or looking to rent or whatever, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Like That's, for me, I have two roommates for my house. I, yeah. I don't need to, but I do because it's free money and it's, you know, I charge 750 bucks a month per roommate, right? That's 1500 bucks towards my mortgage. So when you start looking at your life like that, that's where you find those extra pennies to just invest, you know, and that's what's yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say another thing too, I guess, like to manage cash flow, and you know, this is kind of controversial, but I like a lot of people are in like the credit card churn game, which now that the I think coronavirus hit, there aren't really any big credit card deals out there where you can get all these points and you know, the great sign up bonuses. Right. I feel like while yes, it's cool to be able to like get these points and do cool things. The reason why credit card companies have these point systems in place is it works. They spend a lot of money. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I have credit cards. I'm not like a new credit card guy, but I have credit cards and I use them. But generally speaking, I try to put most just day to day, you know, going out to eat, um, whatever, just things I'm doing around town, uh, daily expenses, like all on debit or like direct bill pay type stuff. Right. Um, and I, you know, I will use a credit card, uh, for maybe bigger purchases or sure. if I'm buying flights or something, I can get a deal. If I have a certain card, that would be it. But like, I think and another thing I hate, I hate like seeing my checking account a certain number, but then it's like, oh, well, hang on a second. Like I really have a thousand dollars in my checking, but no, I actually have 1500 in bills due here in a week and a half because I spent all this money on a credit card. Like I hate having that feeling. Like I want my checking account to actually reflect for the most part, like how much is truly in there. So sure. I try to manage that and like minimize the credit card spending um it, you know where it makes sense yeah because you know when you get especially if you get behind in consumer debt especially credit card debt you can throw investing out the window because it does not make sense to, yeah. to continue to invest if you have consumer debt uh because oh, the totally. interest rates involved with consumer debt you're never going to match over the long run investing you're not going to get an 18 to 20 percent return which is what credit card companies charge I think. Yeah, it's um at that point you have 
point, the best return on your money is paying down that debt. Absolutely. It's kind of a bummer, but um, it's just the truth. Yeah. And those are, you know, those are the things I love talking about. Um, Because again, it's just too much focus on just what stocks do I pick? Well, you need to figure this shit out first before you get to play the big boy game, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's hard to get ahead when you're always dealing with that. Yeah, absolutely. What about books? You know, let's talk a little bit about books. You read anything that you think would be helpful? Um, So a book, I I kind of read recently, I've read more like blogs, but from a book point, um, you know, Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker guy. Right. You had a finance book out, and I read that, and that was pretty good. Um, yeah, Money, Master the Game, it's called, or let's see, Seven Simple Steps to Financial Freedom or something. I had that, that, and I read that, and that was pretty good. There are probably better ones out there. Um, you know, I think The uh, Millionaire Next Door is another one I've heard recommended a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, another book that's really good that's not necessarily – personal finance related or only personal finance related is called the defining decade. Oh, what's that one about? Um, so it was written by this psychologist uh, and it talks about like why your twenties matter. The, the title is the defined decade, why your twenties matter and how to make the most of them. Now it just, it was a really pivotal book for me to read just when I, you know, I read it when I was like 20, 21. Um, but it just talks about how, like certain life decisions that you make in your twenties, right? You set the trajectory of your life, um, and, it, and it talks about a, a lot of different things. You know, personal finance is part of it, just relationships that you have um, or that you choose to invest in, the people you hang out with, um, your decisions with your career, and just like your ability to um, like put order in your life and like making sure that you're just kind of um, being diligent and intentional about how you live. Uh, it was just a really, it's kind of a really good all around book for anyone in their twenties, in my opinion. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Cause I mean, the twenties are going to either make or break you when it comes to being wealthy. Um, if you don't get your twenties, right, you are playing against a stack deck in your thirties and forties. Totally. Totally. Uh, blogs. What, uh, what do you like there? Yeah, so um, Mr. Money Mustache is kind of a classic in the financial independence community. Definitely recommend checking out some of his articles. Uh, you know, he, he's kind of big on like financial independence, retire early. So, you know, he retired at like 40 or something and he's just been living off the money he saved. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily one of these people that wants to get like a million dollars and just like call it quits, but I definitely want that flexibility, right? Just in life in general. Right. He has a good one. Um, uh, oh man, there's another one that was written by this gal. Yeah, I never got the whole get a million bucks and stop working. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think I just want to keep keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, to- I totally get that. Uh, man, there's another one that. Oh, um, the fin- <clears throat> financial pilgrim. There's a guy that I've like followed on Twitter. 
he's got a pretty good blog. Kind of, I mean, he's, you know, it may not be relatable to everyone. He's got like a family and kids. But I think a lot of the stuff he talks about is still relevant. You have any favorite blogs you like to read? I'm really big into Seeking Alpha. Um, oh, yeah, I'm a big Seeking Alpha guy as well. Just because you kind of get a broad range of, because right now I think you've seen this just with the mainstream media and just the articles getting put out by, you know, um, Wall Street Journal, Market Watch, all these big guys, I just get nervous and I kind of want a different set of eyes and more, you know, retail investors. I like a lot of good retail investors on Seeking Alpha, you know, independent yeah. opinions, but ones rooted in, in experience in the markets, you know, so Seeking yeah, Alpha, I, you get a great blend. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's for someone who like, I don't have a finance background. Um, and honestly, like I'll read some of these Seeking Alpha alpha articles and like my eyes kind of glaze over a little bit because they're like doing, you know, a DFC analysis or, you know, all these different investment theses and in, in breaking them down. But even just skimming them, I can kind of get the gist of what they're talking about and what they believe the true value of the company is. Yeah. And that's See how I found a lot of my stocks that I bought for dividend plays. Um, Seeking Alpha has a great way to just get a lot of that data just right to the forefront, and you can see what they've been paying out, what the history is. Yeah, um, crazy. It's good and stuff. Then being able to read some of those articles, so that's nice. I I haven't signed up for the pro version yet, though. I keep on getting my locked out, you know, after my five free articles, which they changed this year. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's worth it. I okay. do the pro. And, you know, especially since, you know, we have decent size accounts, we can pay for it just yeah. because you do, you get some really valuable information Yeah, um, totally. that I think, because unfortunately the free stuff is just, it's not good enough, especially when you have bigger accounts. Um, and that's a big yeah. thing I want to talk about, right? Is you can play these little individual stock picking games when you have a few grand, but when you have accounts, you know, like yours or mine, those decisions scare me a lot more because the consequences on um, over concentrating in a particular yeah. stock on a big portfolio is um, astronomical. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And like, uh, honestly, in some of my accounts, I'm probably a little exposed on certain stocks, which, you know, can be a good thing because that means it's done really well. Right. But right. um yeah, it's definitely important to get that diversification in there. And I think there's some misnomers out there about like what diversification means. You know, in my mind, if you've got, you know, some Tesla and some, I don't know, whatever else is uh, a big stock that is kind of these meme stocks or whatever. GameStop. <laughs> yeah, GameStop. I Palantir. guess that's yeah, Palantir, right? Palantir. I've actually seen Palantir, but I, I, I never pulled the trigger, regrettably. Um, but who knows? Uh, yeah, you know, Palantir and... Um, CCIV. Neo, Neo, CCIV. And you say, hey, hey, I got to diversify. Let me get some Let me get some arc in there. Like that, <laughs> that's called concentration. So, like, really know what you're doing in terms of diversification. Diversification doesn't just mean different... Positions, right different industry, different value, you know, market caps, that type of thing. So yeah, that's, that's the other thing too, just making sure you truly are, you know, spread out.
because those tickers you just mentioned, they are, I was reading, they are all highly correlated with each other just on broad market news. I mean, if one of those tickers has a great, you know, financial um, outlook, then yeah, you know, that company is going to perform well on a particular day, but in, you know, as we've seen the correlation of all those meme stocks is really high with each other. Yeah. And Bitcoin and Tesla as well. I mean, yeah. You know, even my, uh, you know, I've obviously got a NASDAQ index and, you know, took whatever the 2% hit or so that it took today. And that's invested in, you know, the thousand, like a thousand companies. Yep. Obviously it's weighted by market cap, but so that took a 2% hit, but imagine, Hey, if you were in Tesla, like you lost almost 9% today, if you were in ARC, you lost almost 6% today. So those are the things you've got to really start thinking about in terms of, you know, how much loss are you willing to take? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think uh, we'll wrap this one up though, but man, I really appreciate it. You know, next, I want to have you on again. Cause I, you know, I just love your perspective because I think you and I um, definitely see eye to eye on a lot of this. Um, what do you think about next time doing something on taxes? Yeah, that would be, that would be good. I'm uh, uh, admittedly not really a tax expert. Uh, I can maybe walk you through, you know, how I did my turbo tax or something, but uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Happy to talk about taxes. Uh, I know we'd also mentioned maybe just chatting about, uh, you know, California versus Texas. And, you know, I think we both have really interesting perspectives we can bring to the table and talk about, um, or even just like the dividend investing play, you know, whatever, whatever you think would be a good topic that the, uh, the wall street junkies want to hear. I, I, I really appreciate it again, man, you coming on. I think this will be a good one. Um, yeah. Thanks that a lot for having me, Josh. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate it again. And I'll uh, send you the raw just so you have it for yourself. And I'll, you know, I'll uh, just listen to it myself, make sure it sounds all good, but I'm not going to try and edit too much of it out because I just think the raw conversation is really valuable. As always, thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to next week's podcast. Stay hungry, guys.